Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. I believe you're in the right place. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And tonight we're proud to present Game of Thrones, our Game of Thrones podcast that helps you fall asleep, and we do it with an episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. We're going to do the rest. What are we, we going to do? What do we do here exactly? You said episode discussion. How does that help me fall asleep? Well, first thing we do is create a safe place, which basically means I'm not going to. I'm just going to try to lull you, door, lull you, bore you to sleep. I'm not going to trick you into buying anything. So you can put down, you can put your guard down a little bit. You don't got to put it all the way down. But you can lower your guard. I'm not going to try to uh, get it. You know, it's. Uh, I'm just here to help you fall asleep. So that's safe place number one. Safe place number two is I'm going to try to distract you from whatever's keeping you up at night. You're tossing. You're turning. You're thinking. You're whatever concerns you have or thoughts that are running through your brain. I'm going to distract you from that by talking about Game of Thrones. And we're, tonight we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater, a.k.a. Battle Blackwater Bay. Uh, so, we're, we're, you know, we're going to be talking. And then, I'll you know, so I'll talk about the episode. That's going to take forever. Uh, it's going to take a while for me to just get through this intro. So all you got to do is listen, kick back, pay a little bit of attention. You know, I got to – I'm going to try to keep everything at a soothing level. And I'm going to chat and I'm going to say, hey, well, you know, this guy took this boat here. There was like a tapestry on the wall. There was another guy who looked at the other guy. He said this. So that will be the episode discussion. If by chance you don't listen to Game of Thrones, watch Game of Thrones, I mean, you can give this podcast a a try um, and see if it helps you fall asleep. I, I Honestly, some people say it does that don't watch Game of Thrones. Some people don't. So try it if if you if you're hundred percent opposed, uh, go ahead and uh, check us out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where normally when we don't uh, have technical difficulties, we'll have uh, nine Game of Thrones episodes up. But I'm just going to talk. You you can listen a little bit and then fall asleep. You don't have to. I'm not going to count. It's not like I'm going to be like, did you know that actor was dating Leah Michelle and Tiffany? Amber Thiessen at the same time. And I, you know, I saw them at uh, this restaurant and he threw hot tea on me. You know, despite that may be the case, that's not what we talk about here. So it won't be any exciting stuff like that if, if you find that exciting. Or you might say, well, you know, so it's just it. That's a podcast to talk, to talk you to sleep. I'm here. I hope I help you fall asleep. We're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. As the general likes to hear, Game of Drones episodes are www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. You say that five times fast, and it'll be five times fast. You can get a hold of me at Dearest Scooter on Twitter. You can email me, feedback at Sleep With Me Podcast. You can post on the website, comments, or you can find us on Facebook. I try to post sleep-related articles on Twitter, and I post the bloopers on Facebook, of, of which there are m- many. But I don't really take it. Uh, to be a blooper, it's got to be something really, uh, like I'd say, instead of repeating something four or five times like I normally do, 
I'd have to repeat it like 12 times, and then I would cut out six of the times. So that's it. I'm glad I, glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. I know this sounds insane. Yeah, if you don't believe me, check out the iTunes reviews. This works for some people. It's not going to work for everybody. But if you're having a tough time falling asleep, like I said, you know, when I started this, I, I'm glad you're here. I hope I help you fall asleep. This is That's what it's here, podcast, to distract your racing mind, uh, you know, engage, engage you enough with a little game. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that part of Blackwater Bay. Oh, yeah, Stannis's eyes were dreamy. Oh, and then next thing you know, it's you're ready to go on the next day. You're rested. So that's it. Uh, I'm glad you're here. I hope we help you fall asleep. I already said that. Thanks. Hey, gods, it's me calling uh, prayer, prayer and gratitude up. Gratitude in the, in the uh, hold fast or castle, uh, whatever. Gratitude in the sep, 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 sept, just sept. Uh, I want to talk to thank some people, gods, and thank you. For, you know, making sure, you know, watching over them. Little aside, gods, I want to thank you for making me so clumsy that I would drop my recorder more than one time. And I'm sure, Crone, you were watching over it, trying to keep it safe, Jester. I guess, Jester, you'd be in charge of the clumsiness. Though, if you're a Jester, oddly enough, you've got to be really probably have a high dexterity, you know, roll 18 or whatever. Or twenty, you know, we're you know, use some buffs, but I don't have any buffs. I have negative duffs or whatever. So I dropped the recorder, gods, and yeah, I'm being funny. Thanks for breaking it. But now we're back with the same model. Uh, ironically, well, anyway, gods, thank you for teaching me humility. It's more humiliation. You're supposed to teach me humility, not humiliation of being clumsy. But I'm here. I'm not here to, you know, air my grievances because you <laughs> clearly that's not getting me anywhere. I'm here to thank you and be full of thanks because maybe, I mean, that's get, that's getting me. These these people are being supportive in your stead, I guess is what I'm saying. So for some reason you should be thanked. Don't strike me down, guys. Maybe I'm in a mood. But guys, I want to thank you for Tech OKC and their friend who introduced them to the podcast for 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 the lovely email. Like, I want to thank Stephanie N. I want to thank Holly and Dave, who I believe hit me up on snail mail. Thank you, uh, email. And then I was like thinking, uh, yeah, this is uh, God's. You know, I have trouble connecting the dots. I also heard from a Dave H on Facebook which I think might be the same Dave, but it might not be. So I want to thank that Dave H on Facebook if it's not the Holly and Dave Dave, but I want to thank Holly and Dave first. I want to thank Julie C. from Twitter. Julie C. has a book, but I haven't heard back from her if I can talk about it. You know, I want to, you know, have her accidentally, you know, professionally associated with the podcast unless clearly, you know, unless she knows, you know, I want to thank Stuart on Twitter, Kathy, a.k.a. Semi-Bold on Twitter. Stuart is like Lazy Stew on Twitter. I want to thank Andrea G. for the special project she's got me on. I'm going into, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Bull, it's top secret stuff. I want to thank Yawa 
Anna, Marissa, who Yawa, Yawa for promoting the podcast to Marissa. Welcome, Marissa, into the fold. I want to thank Taryn, T-A-R-Y-N, over on Facebook, and then the, the Dave H., which we previously... I want to check in with the Baroness, who sent me a lovely, lovely thing. But, God, so we, in all honesty, we want to open our hearts and our positive energy for the people of France. They're going through a lot right now, and the Baroness is in France. So, you know, God, so seriously, we, we, we pray and we hope for the best for all, all people. Tough transition, God, so that heavy stuff. But I want to thank I realized I've been not checking just the Game of Drones feed review. So I want to thank Larry Underwood, Sambo Lambo, and where were this thra? Where where is where is thra? Where is thra? Or that maybe it's Aria backwards or something. For the reviews of the Game of Drones only feed on iTunes, thank you, guys. I want to thank uh, Reed's Good for uh, Reed's Good. That's funny. I just got that. Uh, wonderful, wonderful review. They, they Reed's Good likes Granddaddy Longlegs' tail, and they were like, "What the heck is this thing? I, this is this is a podcast." And that's a wonderful thing about podcasts. There's room for weird stuff like Granddaddy Long Legs. I want to thank Charday Whitson for saying goodnight. Uh, I want to thank Sumchel, Sumchel for the Z's and the wonderful review. Says she uses wonderful words like cadence and timber, and trailing off senses, expository storylines, benign sorcerer's cauldron. Thank you. I want to thank you, Dave, Entropy Dave, who I am guessing is the Dave of the the night, the, the the ball of the bell, the Dave of the the devil, the ball. No, Dave of the ball, something. And Holly, because uh, Entropy Dave says this is like audio phenobarb, and. Uh, Give a nice, nice review. Or oral, oral, oral sedative. It's not like oral, like you know what I mean, Maiden. Uh, oral, oral, oral. It sounds the same, but it means it's oral, oral. I don't think I have the uh, the range for that pronunciation. And I want to thank Amy Diane P. I think says it's a favorite podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. This is so kind of everyone, guys. I also want to thank, you know, the usual suspects, Chris Post. You know, I wanted to keep distance them from my ire. You know, get these new listeners, if you're going to, you know, strike me down first, new listeners second, and then, you know, Chris Posty posters and leave him alone. For, for, I don't even think you got the uh, gusto to go to Canada and bug him, but please don't. Please don't bug Scotty and Jennifer. You know, Chris does our music. Scotty and Jennifer do our art. Lord and Lady and the Deep French Raider, they handle our royalty business. Silvertone handles the singing. Funders from Down Under, they handle the fun. And uh, Damon D handles the backup. Glittering Insanity handles the insane research. 
There's plenty of other people out there helping me out, filling our hearts, and that's what I that's why I'm here to say thank you, God, with gratitude for the listeners. But you know, mostly I, I know you praise your names, you know, woo woo. woo. So that's for you guys, a little, little you know, woo-woo, gratitude express, pulling out. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater. And I just got to put this out there. This, is, this isn't the apex of Game of Thrones, but this episode is firing on so many different levels at the same time of such magnificent quality everything in this is is you know every person i know no one would listen to this but maybe even if you were like a a grip or a best boy you were the best best boy in the one of the you know to be involved in this or costumer acting a, a extra everything this episode is just unbelievable i hope that somewhere there's a, a time capsule type thing or a excavation site, like a well, there's no more blockbusters, but a place where someday where someone's buried like a rugged hard drive, solid state, a rugged thumb drive, a rugged D, you know DVDs with instructions of you know maybe even some other you know the books everything buried somewhere so future civilizations can find this and because this is uh, this episode is fantastic so if you have a sub- hbo subscription do yourself a favor sit down and watch it again and if you don't go out and buy the dvd season two is available you know go go to your store go to amazon go to uh itunes wherever you need to go and do yourself a favor and watch re-watch this because it's it's just magnificent, magnificent episode, and this is also with a forewarning because I cannot do it justice. There's a lot of gaps in here where I was just watching and listening to the dialogue. There's action, but it's the dialogue that is in uh, the acting and uh, you know the everything. I don't know. I guess I'm like going on and on because that's that's what I you know some people might find that boring. I, I, I find it, uh, I don't know. So let's talk about the episode. It starts out with some boats, and there's shields on the sides of the boats. And then you got Stannis standing in the front of one of the boats. You got soldiers underneath getting sick. They got a big uh, barf bucket, chum bucket maybe. Then you got uh, Onion Knight, Sir Davos, talking to his son. He says, uh, the tide's against us, and the wind's with us. It's going to carry us right up to the gates. And then his son's like, well, you're going home, Pop. What do you think? And you get this whole fate versus, or um, get this real, like you get the uh, this interaction, a quick interaction between Davos and his son, where it's like the, the realist versus the person full of faith, and they talk about the gods and the god. And they talk about, you know, the future for Davos being the hand of King Stannis. And this is the royal fleet. And then Davos is like, hold on, son. You know, let's, they're not just going to give us this city. And then there's just this beautiful line for the son. He says, I have faith in my captain. And, it, you know, even for Davos, he must have been like, oh, man, how, how sweet is this moment? You know, my son finally... 
I just said, what a more what more wonderful thing could a son of an onion knight say, you know, to a father that is a captain of a ship? And I don't know. Other, you know, makes me think of uh, my captain, my captain from Dead's Poet Society. Then we get a. Uh, I looked this up. I couldn't find any information about this. We have Tyrion and Shay in this room, full of birds uh, on the on the wallpaper or something. It struck me. I was like, wow, there's a lot of birds on the walls. Bird bedroom. It's almost like a. They're at a B and B, a B triple bed breakfast and bird stuff like a birder's bed and breakfast with birds. That'd be a quad B. And if it what comes after quad, quad, uno de cuatro, cinco, I don't, I don't know. Like the best bird or bed and breakfast with birds. Boy, that would be whatever, septa. Um, and she's, she's like, you know, hey, buddy, hey, hey, sweet, sweet cakes, are you afraid? He says, of course I'm afraid. She says, I won't let them hurt you. My little lion poo. And he says, well, aren't you worried? She says, I'm not kidding me. I'm Shay. And he says, you can't F your way out of any everything. And she says, I have so far, buddy boy. And then she says, you remember the first night we met? And she said, I should, you know, we should, we should get it on like it's your last night on earth. Let's do this thing. Then you're back with one of the people I love, the bubbling maester. Meister uh, Picel, Meister, Meister Picel. He's with Cersei, and he's going on and on about how you should be giving advice. You know, it's always just my job to get medicine, my queen. You know, it's me. Don't you want my advice? How come everybody, you know, everybody's getting, you know, shouldn't I be counseled in the time of war? And she's like, anyway, uh, what about this nightshade you got? So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, three drops will uh, chill you out. Ten drops will put you to sleep, and the you know more than ten drops. Oh no no! Whoops! Don't. Uh, this is why this is not a medical podcast. One drop will chill you out. Three drops will put you to sleep. Ten drops. And so anyway, it did their ten drops when I was talking there. Sorry, to but this isn't a medical podcast. This is a a sleep uh, podcast. But yeah, so then she's like, okay, I got it. Uh, hit the road. And she, there's this line that sticks with me, and I, I'm not sure why it sticks with me. So I don't know if it was just a line that I don't know why I'm obsessed with it, but he goes to leave. And, of course, I have this weird, you know, attraction, fear of Cersei, but she says, uh, do be careful on the stairs, Grand, Grand Maester. There are so many. Do be, she says, uh, do be careful on the stairs, Grand Maester. There are so many. I don't know. The way she says it, beautiful. But I don't know. I don't know. I can't get that line out of my head for some reason. So I don't know if anybody has any input on why that would be. If it was just a line that was in there, I don't know what it would be a metaphor for. I'm, I, I'm not even reaching for any meaning. I don't I, I don't know. Then we're down in uh, at a bar or something, and everyone's Bron and all the Lannisters are singing the Lannister song going, so it goes. Oh, no. How's the song? I don't know. Uh, and now the rain, we will enough to hear. And now the rain, uh, a coat of red and a coat of black. The lion still has claws, and mine are long and sharp as yours. 
of my long and sharp as yours. Uh, you know, that that song, great, great song. Somebody's like, hey, Brown, where'd you learn to sing this song? He's like, from Drunk Lannisters. Then he's talking, this would be a beautiful, beautiful uh, woman, hired woman, about his nose. And then the hound rolls in with somebody. I, I wasn't sure who he rolled in with. I don't think it was Lancel, but uh, some dude. And then uh, Ron's trying to be, it seems like he's being genuine. He's like, hey, welcome, friends. And the hound's kind of just cold, kind of pushing his, he's a little bit grouchy, I'd say. And then the hound has this line, you know, uh, cover up your ears. If He says, uh, you like fucking and drinking and singing, but killing, killing's the thing you love. Uh Oh, wait, but back up. Before that, he says to Bron, he says, you think you're a hard man? And Bron says, I know it. And, and this was a be- another just beautiful moment. This episode is so few, full of these moments you can just treasure, like a little piece of war candy in your mouth. Because it's like, oh, uh, you know, I don't understand the dynamic. I mean, uh, Bron's more, a little bit more of a trickster. Hound's a little bit more of a you know, aggro type, but he, he actually, Bron is a hard man. Like usually if you say you you really think you're a hard man, it's usually saying, I clearly know you are not a hard man. And the man on the other end of it who was Bron usually would not be a hard man. He'd be like, oh yeah, I was just, you know, uh, stuffing my pockets with perfumed, uh, I, I don't know, whatever, I, who knows. But, uh, but Bron's actually a pretty hard guy, hard as they come, I would say. And so he says, yeah, actually, I am a hard man. Uh, and then they get into it. Like I said, he says, uh, you know, killing's a thing. And then he says, uh, you know, you're just like me, only smaller. And then Bron says, you know, and I'm quicker. And, and Bron says, and I'm quicker, by the way. He says, is this, are we going to go now? And Bron's kind of like, oh, well, this probably isn't the best idea, but I'll fight you, to, you know. And they're not talking about a little fisticuffs. And then the alarm goes at the war's beginning. And then and then another little moment, he says, hey, hey, big guy. Brad says, hey, hey, big guy, what do you say, one more drink before the war? Shall we? And then you got Varys talking about the bells ringing. And he says, uh, Podrick. Is that, is, that the, is, that, is that the name? And uh, Tyrion's like, oh, don't you know all the boys' names? And Varys is kind of like, dude, why does everybody think I'm a pedophile? I'm not. I'll, I'll explain to you all the details at some point. But but now's probably not the best time. Plus, I have this uh, map of all the tunnels underneath the city. Uh, why don't we check this out? And then there's just beautiful, another just scene to watch for yourself. I don't even want to go through the highlights. But it, it, it caps off with Varys being, saying, uh, I have... I've seen things and heard things I wish I had not. Stannis is in service to the darker arts. Tonight, I believe you are the only man who can stop him. He's talking to Tyrion, and Tyrion's like, wow, that's nice. I don't really, this is the kind of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, when you uh, say, it's not a compliment. It's like, a, it's the kind of thing we're all seeking, not connection, validation. He's like, yeah, this is the kind of validations I've been trying to get from my family my entire life, and now I'm getting it from you. Five minutes ago, I was calling you a pedo. And he said, oh, the irony, I guess. And then we go back to the boats, 
And, you know, there's all this music playing in, in King's Landing, and Davos is like, uh, oh, they want to play music with us? Well, let's play. Hit the drums. And then all the boats drums start going. And then we're back with Bronn and Tyrion saying goodbye to each other. Very Star Wars moment. I'm not sure if it was like in the uh, uh, Empire when, when uh, Luke and Han are splitting up or what, but he says, you know, uh, not that this line was in Star Wars, but Tyrion says, uh, just because I pay you for my friendship, uh, just because I pay just because I pay you for our friendship doesn't diminish it. And Brown's like, eh, in some sense, it enhances it. And they have a nice little moment. Then we have Sansa that comes. She's here to see Jaffa off. And, 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 and she says to Tyrion, I'll pray for you at your safe return, my lord. And he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, just like I'm going to pray for Joffs. And Tyrion says, well, st- stay safe, my lady. And she's with Shay, and he says, you too. And she says, uh, she grabs him, she says, uh, and you, my lion. And then Jaff kind of is like, hey, kiss my sword. And uh, Sansa's like, oh, boy, this guy. And she really goads him. He's like, oh, this is going to be covered. I'm so tough. And she's like, oh, you are so tough. Are you going to fight everybody? He's like, don't, don't belittle me. She's like, oh, no, I wouldn't belittle you like they will. And he's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't really, really don't belittle me. I'm going to take everybody on. I'm so bad. And then they head out and she says, some of these boys aren't going to be coming back to Sansa. And Sansa says, well, Joffrey will. The bad ones always do. And then this is the first uh, time code I put in here, 21 minutes and 32 seconds. So if you're, you know, really want to watch this, that's a scene to dial in. That's got Tyrion and Joff up on the ramparts or whatever. And he's like, where the hell's the the fleet? You know, there's no thief. And they keep going back and forth about the fleet. Very, a little bit slapstick of like, you talk to him, you talk to him, you know, whatever. And then you get Davos and he's like, uh, he's like, where's their ships? And then he sees this one ship flowing towards him. You can see he's like, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. And his son's like, Dad, we surprised him. We did it. And Davos is like, "Uh, no, no, you can't surprise Varys. I know Varys. And then, you know, the... uh, uh, it hits the fan. Then we're in this uh, royal lockdown with Cersei and all the royalty women, and Cersei's pounding wine. And I'll be honest with you, uh, self-esteem, damaged self-esteem here. This was when I really fell for Cersei, and it, 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 I mean the acting is beautiful, and it's it's like a, a, a deliciously. It's so three-dimensional. I mean, you want to be like, oh, this is just like some sort of wicked uh, stepmother situation, but it's so much more nuanced than that. Do yourself a favor and watch it and see if you can't resist her drunken cruelty charms like I couldn't. I mean, at some point I'm like, oh, God, I fear you and love you. But anyway, she says uh, she's drinking and then she says, Sansa, she says, I was wondering where our little dove had flown to. And then she's drinking wine and talking about punishing, you know, uh, take these looters out. Let's let's deal with these looters. Oh, and then I guess I jumped the ship there because this is the next scene is where they see the uh, Davos, they see the one ship. And he's like, oh, shit, that's uh, one ship. And they see the green is like wildfire, get down. And then everything goes to hell. And it's like Bron shoots the arrow, total chaos. Can't even read my writing. I think it says boomhead, but I don't. Oh, yeah. Somebody gets 
Oh, yeah, there's like the scene where somebody gets next to Stannis, gets hit with the boom, and their head gets crunched. You got a shot of the pyromancer grinning. Stannis is totally unfazed by all this. He's just like, let's get to work, men. Let's attack, come with me, and let's take this city. Then you're back with Cersei and Sansa. You got the, uh, whatever his name is, the guy juggling, the used to be a knight. And Sansa's praying, and there's bunk beds. I know that. And then Cersei's like, come here. What are you doing, uh, Sansa? She's already slurring a little bit, and she's like, praying. Oh, you're so perfect. And she's like, what are you praying for? And Sansa's like, for the gods have mercy on us all. And Cersei's like, all passive-aggressive. Us? Even me? Even Joffrey? And then Sansa's like, blah, blah. And she says, oh, shut up, you fool. The gods have no mercy. That's why they're gods. And then she tells her, you know, this is what my father taught me when I was praying after, you know, for my mom to come back. It gets really sad here. It takes a real s- sad turn. And she's like, I didn't understand the finality of the death of my mother. I thought they would return her to me. And Sansa's like, your father, does your father doesn't believe in the gods? And Cersei's like, he believes in them. He just doesn't like them very much. And then she's like, you know, you're going to get drunk with me. Uh, more wine for Sansa. And she, this was like, this was when I fell for her. I'll be honest with the exact moment. She says, uh, here, sit. And then she like kind of turns and uh, carelessly throws a pillow. And like that is like so dismissive. dismissive. And uh, I don't know why. I don't know. I'm a disturbed human being. What can I say? But it was just so mean. And but but uh, I guess she's kind of like I don't know. Is she a diva? Would that be diva? She'd be on a diva. I guess she's a queen. Uh, and then she's like, you don't even know how to drink, Sansa. I want you to get drunk, not just sip wine. She's a drink girl. And that's at thirty mi- thirty-one minutes and eight seconds. If you want to see that, then we get the ships rowing ashore. You got Stannis in the front of one of these ships with a sword, or in front of one of the rowboats in a sword. He's just looking totally bad. And then you got rain, fire raining down on them. And Tyrion has a great line. He says, "He's a serious man." That's Stannis Baratheon. Then Joff panics. And Tyrion's like, don't worry, what is it, Hound? Get a welcome party out there, take him out. The best part is Hound is like, uh, Lancel, you're coming with me, you wuss, let's go. And he's like, don't get any fire near me, boys. Uh, you know, I'll come back here, I'll strangle you with your own guts. And then you got the archers, Stannis's men charging, you got rocks getting thrown, you're like, to the mud gate. And then you got the Hound pushes Lancel into battle. Lancel, he's not too bad for about uh, 45 seconds of fighting. Then you cut back to Cersei, and now she's just holding court with all the girls. And she's like, you know, in the sad part of drunkenness, she's like, oh, you know, me and Jamie, and he got taught all this stuff, and I wish I got taught. I hate, you know, this isn't fair, which is true. She's like, you know, I, I'm the more, you know, I'm the one my father should be putting as that, that future head of the family. I'm the one that's tough. And this is all at 36 minutes and 11 seconds if you want to rewatch that. And then she spots Shay. And now she could tell she's really drunk. Now she goes right from the sad drunk to the mean drunk. She She's like, uh, who's this one? Uh, bring her over. And then Shay tries to, she's like, that's the worst curtsy I've ever seen. Let me show you how to curtsy. 
And then she already knows. She's like, I know your accent. I had some, you know, uh, woman that had to deal with my bunions or something from where you are. And then she's like, tell us a story, Shay. And she's, Shay starts to tell a story. And then Lancel comes in. Lancel's taking some wounds. And he's like, things aren't going well out there, uh, Cersei. And she's like, go get Joff. Bring him to my cha- Bring him to his chambers. And then she's like, Saints, so when I told you why Sir Ellen was here to protect us, I lied. He's here to take us out if, you know, if the battle's lost because Stannis is not going to be taking us alive. Then we got out there, we got the battle going raging. The hound is about to be taken out by some guy on fire and Bronn saves him. But then the hound goes into like a panicked, like fugue state. And meanwhile, Stannis' men are throwing ladders up. Stannis is like, kicking some serious friggin' ass. This Stannis is a serious badass. And then the Hound's like, I'm out of here. He runs in. He's like, give me some friggin' wine. And Tyrion's like, what are you doing, man? You're the toughest guy here. He's like, do you want me to get you some iced milk and a nice bowl of raspberries too? And then even Joff's like, dog, I command you to go back out there and fight. And Hound finally stands up for himself, I guess. He's like, fuck the king's guard, fuck the city, fuck the king, I'm out. And then you go, you got the ship come, like a rowboat and a battering ram, and they're on the mud gate. And everyone's like, you know, I'm not, This uh, Joff takes off, I think. Oh, yeah, Lancel comes, he takes, he says, Joff, you got to get out of here. And Joff's like, okay. Uh, he looks like confused for a second. He's like, okay, how am I going to make myself look good and be a coward? And he's like, Sir Madden or whatever, you take over for me. And then Tyrion, everyone's like, I'm not going to fight. I have this guy. I'm not fighting for this king. And Tyrion's like, uh, you know what? I'll lead the attack. Sir, Sir Madden or whatever, you carry the king's banner. But nobody cares. And then Tyrion's, Tyrion's like, I know a back way where we can really fuck these guys up. And he says, you know, don't fight for the king. Don't fight for the scene of us rich people, whatever. He says, fight for your houses. Fight for your gold. Fight for your women. And then he had another beautiful, he says, those are brave men knocking at your door. Now let's go kill them. And then the music rises. Oh, boy. Then you got Lancel back with Cersei. He's like, the battle's lost. But we, we got to bring the king back. We got to bring Joffrey back. And then Cersei totally kicks the shit out of Lancel. She, like, punches him in one of his wounds or something. Sansa's, Cersei's out of there, and then Sansa's trying to leave it, lead to him, and Shay's like, Sansa, you got to get out of here. For But for a brief second, Sansa's trying to calm the room down, but then she bolts, Shay gets her out, she goes to her room, the hound's in the room, and he says, hey, I'm going someplace that isn't here, probably, uh, you know, north, uh, maybe, and she says, what about the king? And he says, he can die just fine on his own. He said, what if I say I take you, take you with me to Winterfell? I'll keep you safe. And then she's like, you know, she's still afraid of him and afraid of a look. He says, look at me. Uh, he says uh, something about the killers. The world is built by killers, so you better get used to looking at him. He's like, your father, all, all these guys. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay here. And he's like, she, he tries to be menacing. She's like, you're not going to hurt me. And he says, no, little bird. I won't. 
Then we got the Tyrion sneak attack, and it works, and they're messing some people up. But then, like, a ton of troops of uh, Stannis' troops charge, and then Sir Madden or Mandrian or whatever, he almost takes Tyrion out, but Podrick takes him out. Then we have Cersei on the throne with Tommen. Another beautiful scene. These, She's telling him this story, and it's so wonderful. They, I, I, could, I don't want to just recite it word for word. You should rewatch it for real. And there's this moment where Tyrion's lying there, and there's people charging, and it seems like all is lost. And, you know, Cersei's getting the medicine ready to give to Tommen, and you're like, oh, dear. And then we're back outside, and all of a sudden the cavalry shows up, and boom, they back, break through Stannis' army, bash him back. Stannis and his army have to retreat. And you see, like, Loras kicking some ass, and, uh, you know, they're taking people out. And then you have this last lovely shot of Circe and Tom, and then the doors burst open. And it's really a really cool uh, way because they have uh, Loras and a bunch of other soldiers looking wicked cool and tough. Again, a Star Wars-esque moment for me. I don't know what it was, like, just like the... Uh, it's just very uh, high. I don't even know what the word is. A moment, uh, and then you have um, Tywin march in, and he's like, you know, the battle's won, and it's just uh, even though the bad guys won, technically, depending on who you're rooting for, you know, it's very, very cool moment. So uh, that's that was uh, Blackwater. Uh, again, I just you know, tried to talk about it, but I don't know if I can do it justice. So you guys, I don't know if I can do it justice. You guys should definitely check it out for yourselves. One thing that uh, was discussed in this episode was uh, when Sir Davos and his son say, okay, well, the wind is against us, or the tide is against us, but the wind is with us. And it made me think of, like, uh, Red Knight, you know, we've got, I've talked about Red Knight had warning, Red Knight, yeah, Red Red sun in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sun at night, sailors delight. And then I'm like, these sailors are superstitious a lot. And it was like, is that a portent? So I looked up sailors superstitious. Actually, I tried to look up sailors portents. It makes me sound smarter than superstition. I found this article. I never looked up it. this is from a Snipe Today, a site for all Snipe sailors. No idea what Snipe sailing is. Hopefully it's not like uh, like snipers and sailboats shooting people. That would be terrible to reference that. But uh, this is an article. It says uh, it's superstitions, portents, omens, jinx, to taboos in the sailing world. It's written by Pietro. Fantoni, the legend of a legendary sailor sniper. It was originally published on snipe.it in January 2006. And I'm just going to, you know, write write, right from Pietro's lips or his fingers on snipe.it to snipetoday.org to my my eyes, through my brain, well, actually, I researched you know, to my lip, to your ears. Attention, today you will not read of tactics, strategies, spreader lengths, or shroud tension. You will read of something much more important for you to win a championship. Uh, concentrate and take notes. There are very few in the age of internet who... Really? 
There are very few who, in the age of the Internet, admit to being superstitious. I don't know what Internet you're on, Pietro, but uh, they only admit some habit or routine. But superstition has been a part of our sport. But superstition has been a part of our sport since man became a sailor. He instantly realized that the seas can be a hostile place, especially... He instantly realized the sea could be a hostile place, especially when it was still believed the earth had an edge that it could be sailed off. The sea imposes in respect evokes fears, so there are many superstitions, rituals, and taboos. The intelligent modern sailor, not leaving to uh, anything to chance, should still observe these. Launching, and I'll try to paraphrase it much again, the celebration of launching a new boat has ancient origins. Today, it's customary to break a bottle of champagne on the bow. In ancient civilizations, the ceremony was more serious. Homer tells us that the Archinian fleet could not reach Troy because of strong headwinds. They kept it along the coast of Aulis. Uh, the prophet Calacus prophesied that the fleet would not leave until the Archean king Agamemnon had sacrificed Artemis his, the, had sacrificed to Artemis his more beautiful daughter, Iphigenia, Iphigenia, and then he did, believe it or not. Oh, boy. Argo was the ship that carried Jason and the Argonauts in search of the Golden Fleet. In her bow, it contained a fragment of wood from the forest Dodona, which could speak, which could speak in prophecy. The forest could? To ease the journey, the Argonauts sacrificed to Apollo two oxen. Sacrificed to Apollo two oxen. Uh, why can't I say that? To ease the journey, the Argonauts sacrificed to Apollo two oxen, partied, got drunk, and then fell asleep to the sound of the lyre, lyre of Orpheus. For the Greeks, libations of the god were important, and the keel of the new ship was made wet. With the blood, oh dear. Likewise, the Vikings sacrificed prisoners. Oh man, a lot of blood on the ships. Uh, for ancient Romans, cutting their hair and nails when the weather was good was a bad omen. So it was sneezing, swearing, and dancing on board the ship. Nowadays, the launching ceremony, though harmless and bloodless, is still full of superstitions. Many sailors would feel bad if the bottle does not break. That's that's that's. Leaving the dock. Buona fortuna, good luck in Italy. This which wish for most sailors means bad luck. So most follow with a gesture, touching the balls to ward off bad luck. Instead of buona fortuna, push your Italian sailing friends off the dock with in bocca al lupo, which means in the mouth of the wolf. Very symbolic for uh, Game of Thrones, I guess. In boca a lupo, in boca a lupo, in the mouth, which means, or, mis, or more specifically, in culo, or even more specifically, in culo a la balena, which means in the butthole of a whale. Friday. Friday is an unlucky day. It's one of the oldest and most enduring traditions of sailing. It's unlucky to begin a voyage or set sail on a Friday. There's false legend that talks about the HMS Friday. In the 19th century, the naval tried to get rid of that superstition by setting sail on a Friday. Uh, but to demonstrate this, they named the ship Friday. Her keel was laid on a Friday. She was launched on a Friday. 
and she set sail on her maiden voyage on Friday the 13th under command of James Friday. She was never seen from or heard again. The superstition com- continues today. It is said that Oliver de Carosone put off until Saturday the departure to break the record of the Jules Verne Trophy rather than leave on a Friday. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, Friday boat names. With regard to the belief that changing the name of the boat is catastrophic, the French agree, although with significant obsession, although with significant exception, only on August 15th can you give a new name to a boat. After scrupulously following a rigorous ritual, the boat must be renamed while sailing close to the wind, making a series of short tacks, drawing a zigzag pattern that she must bear away and then go exactly downwind. The reason for such a ritual? The path is a snake that eats its own tail. Obviously, we must add the blessing of a priest. Woe to the priest, however, if he puts one foot in the boat. Wow, sailing seems like a big pain in the ass. Whistling. According to many cultures, whistling at sea brings misfortune because it's annoying. Those were my, that was my aside there. It is said that Fletcher Christian aboard the HMS Bounty used a whistle as a signal for the mutiny against Captain William Bly. The British believe that whistling and scraping the mast bring wind when the wind is calm. This is the general rule, but don't ever do this when sailing south of the channel, for the French whistling is dangerous. A sailor's song from the time of squared sailed ships says, Si fait cabir, si fait coupur, appelir le vent, moi ce la brise venu, gabier, ne ni full place. Whistle top man, whistle, oh, whistle top man, whistle call, to call the wind. But as soon as the breeze comes, top man, don't whistle anymore. Unfavorable wind. The French have an uh, unfavorable wind. The French have an old saying, perhaps obsolete but worthy of mention, used on sailing ships of the past centuries. When they met several days of upwind, unfavorable conditions, they would ask, "Ven de bout, ven de bout san fin que ne passa pa or something, upwind, upwind, endless, who did not pay his whore. The unfavorable wind was considered a punishment for sailors who had left, obviously, they didn't pay their bills. Jonah, for some sailors, there are people who bring bad luck and should not get on board. Jonah is the name given to these people and derives from the biblical prophet Jonah. Jonah was ordered by God to go to the city of Nineveh. A huge storm arose and the sailors, realizing this was no ordinary storm, cast lots and learned that Jonah was to blame. Jonah admitted this and stated if he was thrown overboard, the storm would cease. The sailors tried to dump as much cargo as possible but finally throw him overboard, at which point the sea calms. Jonah was miraculously saved by a big fish. Bananas, umbrellas, and hatch covers never bring bananas on an English boat. Again, common sense, banana peels are slippery, and also boats of other nations, it seems. That was in parentheses. Similarly, do not get in an Italian boat with an umbrella. Never turn a hatch cover upside down, maybe because an upside-down hatch cover would be a premonition of an upside-down boat. Okay, let me just aside here. What are you, an idiot? Don't bring a banana on a boat. I mean, come on. And an umbrella... What the hell are you doing on a boat? 
a, a sailboat with a wind and an umbrella, okay? And then a hatch cover is like, you know, you don't want people falling in. Why would you take the hatch cover and turn it upside down? That's just like not a premonition. It's like, don't be an idiot. Animals. Anyway, sorry about that. Animals. To the ancient civilizations of the Mediterranean, dolphins are well-wishing. When they flick under the bow, they indicate the boat's, boat's route. They are often depicted on the bow of a ship. The ships of the Phoenicians had a decorative spiral pattern or fishtail on the stern. The boat was often adorned with a horse's head, or a stag's head in this case. On the side, each side of the bow above the waterline, there were two large eyes that had the task of protest, protecting the ship from evil and scaring the enemies. They also served to see the route. Sam, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, in his poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, is it's considered extremely unlucky to kill an apple albatross. No. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, uh, we stuck, nor breath nor motion. As idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean, water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink, water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. In anger, the crew forced the mariner to wear the dead albatross around his neck. Yeah, uh, that's a... What's his name's got to work in his writing a little bit? No offense. Uh, the great poet Hipponax... i got to work on my pronunciation, so, you know, it's, uh, I'm not perfect. Uh, known for the inventor of a bizarre mate meter called... A, I don't even know what any of that means launched a fierce invective against a painter who had painted a snake, an underworld creature, toward the stern rather than towards the bow. For the skipper, this is a bad omen, surely a jinx, says the poet. When you paint the serpent on the uh, full-oared side, quit, I don't know, this is again, pork in any shape or form was prohibited aboard fishing boats in New England because pigs in the water don't get along. The reasons aren't clear. Just as it's not clear why you can't talk about rabbits on a French boat. Sirens. The sirens were mythical creatures, beautiful and dangerous, who enchanted the sailors with music and persuasive voices in Homer's Odyssey. They presented as marine singers inhabitants of an island near Scylla and Char... Char... Charbris, the present Straits of Messina, who enchanted then killed the sailors who imprudently landed there. Their deadly island was littered with rotting corpses, but Odysseus, advised by Circe, ordered his men to tie him to the mast of the ship and inserted wax in his ears, in the ears of the other sailors. Why did he not simply plug his own ears has never been made clear. Yet yeah, is, he ties himself to the mast, so he can't, I think, oh, and I knew why this was anyway. The other sailors couldn't hear, but he could hear, so he could guide the ship, I think. But then he couldn't take over. I can't remember. Or maybe it was that he said they was to avoid some rocks. They don't call you to the land. They call you to crash on the rocks, I think. Who knows? Women. In a tradition now politically incorrect, a woman on a boat carries bad luck. The scholars believe that the origin of such prejudice comes from the fact that every woman is a witch. Oh, boy. And witches bring storms and other disasters. How about uh, that's not only misogynistic but anti-witches, uh, you know. The French and Italians believe this, but so, but not so for the British, at least it seems. 
the Royal Navy of Nelson's time, it was not uncommon for women to be present even on battleships. Lady Hamilton was the hostess for long time periods on the flagship of Admiral Horatio Nelson. Colors. In Italy, a green boat is considered a bearer of bad luck. At first, the ban considered only clothing, but never wear green clothes, particularly because green is not distinguished from seawater. So it's just so you don't drown. Subsequently, the ban was extended to the color of the boat. And the, the believers cite the example of Gatorade, a bo- some boat called Gatorade, would almost sunk in the Southern Ocean during the White Bread Ocean rain Race, and all the green spinnakers of Paul Kayard's American Cup boat in 2001 that exploded to the benefit of Prada. So green is bad. Uh, he recently, I read recently in a book, this is quoting our author here, that for American fishermen, blue is not a good color for a boat. Again, how that you ain't going to see it. I also think for American sailors, red is unlucky. Remembering the red 12-meter liberty that lost the cup, ending the longest winning streak in the history of sports. For colors, everybody has a different theory. Uh, clothes. It is widespread belief among sailors that wearing the regatta T-shirt is bad luck. You can wear the shirt, but not until the next regatta. Uh, Here are some other known taboos. Don't watch the boat first. Avoid going sailing the day before a championship. Never wear clothes ever used in racing. Never reminisce before a regatta about a storm. Uh, There are a bunch of other superstitions according to this guy. That's Pietro Fantoni. He's a sniper, and he, you know, sails. So watch out for him. And again, easiest takeaway from this, no bananas, no umbrellas, and don't dress the same color as water. And avoid sailing or sailors, probably. All right, let's talk nightshade. This is from Slate's Animal Blog, uh, Wild Things. It's written by Michael Largo. I believe it's from a book. It's a Big Bad Botany, Deadly Nightshade, the Poisonous A-Lister. Yet yeah, this is a quote from the article. Uh, All week on Wild Things, we'll be presenting our favorite dangerous, horrifying, and monstrous plants excerpted from ex, ex, excerpted, ex, ex, from uh, the Big Bad Book of Botany, the world's most fascinating flora. By Michael Largo, out now. And by now, they meant uh, August 18, 2014. Uh, Atropa belladonna is a Eurasian perennial with reddish bell-shaped flowers that bear glossy-coated black berries. Other names for the plant include belladonna, deadly nightshade, devil's berries, naughty man's cherries, death cherries, beautiful death, and devil's herb. The plant earns its sinister nicknames as its foliage and berries are extremely toxic, containing containing potent dosages of tropane alco- alkaloids. It is common, and its its most common name, Belladonna, derives from the Italian meaning "beautiful woman." Historically, women have used the herb's oil to dilate and enlarge the pupils for seductive effect. Yeah, maybe that's what Cersei did when I fell for. But today, it's the best known plant of uh, for assassins throughout history. 
A native to Europe, North Africa, Western Asia, the herb grows wildly in many parts of the United States, mostly in dumps, quarries, old ruins, under shade trees, or atop wooded hills. Belladonna is a branching plant that often grows to resemble a shrub, about four feet high within a single growing season. Its leaves are long, extending seven inches, and its bell-shaped flowers are purple with green tinges about an inch long. The fruit and berries appear green when growing. But as the toxins get stronger in the ripening stage, they turn a shiny black color. Belladonna blooms in midsummer through early fall. Its roots are thick, fleshy, and white, growing to six inches or more in length. Deadly nightshade is one of the most toxic plants in the eastern hemisphere. While the roots are the most deadly part, the poisonous alkaloids run through the entirety of the plant. Scopolamine and hyoscamine are among these toxins, both of which cause delirium and hallucinations. Deadly nightshade berries pose the greatest danger to children as they are attractive and deceptively sweet at the first bite, yet just two berries can be deadly for a child or 10 to 20 for an adult. Likewise, consuming even a single leaf can prove fatal to humans. Cattle, horses, rabbits, goats, and sheep can eat deadly nightshade without ill effect, though many pets are vulnerable to its effects. Symptoms of nightshade poisoning uh, are present quickly, so if medical aid is far off, drink a large glass of warm vinegar or a mixture of mustard and water, which may dilute and neutralize its toxicity. Today we understand the risks involved using as. Today we understand, though today, we understand the risks involved in using deadly nightshade outweigh any potential benefits. It has a long history in medicine and com- cosmetics as a weapon, and as a weapon. Ancient Romans harness the effects of the poison to make poison-tipped. Uh, ancient Romans harness the effect of the plant to make poison-tipped arrows guaranteed to kill, and still others found it as an effective anesthesia for surgery, as numbness and drowsiness are side effects to its toxic mix. If you wish to grow your own crop of the herb, because you are a total idiot, my words, soak the seeds. What is this? You're going to make nightshade. You're going to bring a banana and umbrella on the boat. Soak the seeds. Don't. don't, I'm not going to read this because just don't do that. Good news. Because it's difficult to grow, belladonna rarely appears in gardens. Is that why? Or because people have some kind of sense of... Though it's cultivated for medicinal purposes in England, France, and North America, the herb has no major value as food. Some hope gardeners plant it for its large, colorful display of berries, but remember, there's no warning signs on this plant, so don't do it. Belladonna is rightfully known as a plant used throughout history for stealth assassination spies, as well as taste testers hired by kings and the wealthy to sample foods for poisons, learn that it's possible to develop a tolerance to belladonna. Huh. It's like Iocane powder in uh, Princess Bride. By exposing himself to the toxins by taking a small sips of a brew made from the plant over time, an assassin could demonstrate a drink was safe to consume, and his mark would swallow the poison willingly. Made from the plant's berries, such as a drink... Made from the plant's berries, such drink retains a sweet taste can pass, and can pass as a fermented beverage. According to history, Scotland's King Duncan I in 1030 passed around bottles of the deadly drink. 
to an army of Danes which killed them all without having to lift a sword. For so-called witches, belladonna is supposedly the main ingredient allowing broomsticks to levitate. Or perhaps if it did, it was only in their hallucinations. So that's uh, Nightshade according to Slate. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, when Cersei is uh, passively aggressively being mean to... Uh, is passive-aggressive always mean? I don't know. When she's abusing Sansa... They, you know, Sansa's praying. She says, oh, you know, little dove, what are you doing? Oh, oh you're so perfect. What are you? She said, well, I'm just praying for the gods, you know, mercy or whatever. And I said, well, if they were merciful, they wouldn't be gods or something. And I was like, I don't know. Something made me look up. I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I looked up, I think I looked up vengeful god as opposed to merciful god. And usually I, uh, I don't want to uh, throw anybody in the bus, but I try not to use stuff from about.com. But I found this article over at about.com about education, and it's about the um, the Aztec god of night, Tez Cat Lapoca. Oh, that one I can, that's all almost all sight words. I can do it. Tez Cat Lapoca. I think Tez Cat Lapoca. Tez Cat Lapoca. Something like that. Oh, yeah, here's the, uh, it's, this article is called The Aztec God of Night in the North and Sorcery. Oh, it's also the God of North. And this is by Nicoletta Mastri. And Tezcatli Poca, Tezcatli Poca, whose name means smoking mirror, was the Aztec God of Night and Sorcery as well as the patron deity of Aztec kings and of young warriors. As with many Aztec gods, he had different aspects connected with the sky, winds, the north, the earth, kingship, divination, and war. For the different aspects he embodied, Tezcatlipoca was also known as the Red Tezcatlipoca of the West, the Black Tezcatlipoca of the North, associated with death and cold. According to Aztec mythology, Tez, well, I'll call him, you know, was a vengeful god who could see and punish any evil behavior or action happening on earth. How's that vengeful? That's a. For these qualities, Aztec kings considered te, were considered Tez's representatives on earth, and at their election, they had to stand in front of the god's image and perform several ceremonies in order to legitimate their right to rule. Tez, Catalapoca, and the more famous, I think, Tezcatotl, I don't know. I know that God's more famous, though. Uh, Tez, who was the god of, who was the son of the god Ome Teotl, was the original creator, who was the original creator entity. One of Tez's brothers was K, who, according to Aztec mythology, was both an enemy as well as his dualistic aspect. For this reason, K is sometimes known as the White Tez to distinguish him from his brother, the Black Tez. Oh boy. Um, that's you know, uh, the opposition between K and Tez is reflected in the legend of the myth- mythical city of Tolan. The legend goes that K, the peaceful king and priest of Tolan, was deceived by Tez and his followers, who were more into sacrifices and violence and forced into exile. 
Some archaeologists and historians believe that the legend of the fight between Tez and Kay refers to historical events, such as a clash of different ethnic groups from the north and central Mexico. Tez and the Origin of the World Many Aztec legends hold that Tez and Kay were gods who originated the world. According to Aztec mythology, the world had passed through a set of four cycles or suns, each one represented by a specific deity, and each one ending in a turbulent way. The Aztecs believe that they lived in the fifth and last epoch. The first one was a world ruled by Tez when the world was inhabited by giants. A fight between Tez and Kay, who wanted to replace him, put an end to this first world with the giants being devoured by jaguars. Tez's festivities. To Tez was dedicated one of the most important ceremonies of the whole year. This was the Taxcatl, which is celebrated in May and involves the sacrifice of a boy. Oh, dear. The young man is chosen among the most physically perfect prisoners. In the year preceding the ceremony, the young man personified the god himself and was attended to by servants fed with delicious food, wore the finest cloth, and was trained in music and religion. Wow. About 20 days before the actual ceremony, he was married to four virgins who entertained him with songs and dances. The actual sacrifice took place during a solemn ceremony. The young man was accompanied to the temple outside of Teno Chitilan, the Aztec capital. As he walked up the stairs, the temple played music with four flutes that represented the world's directions that he would then destroy. When he reached the top, a group of priests waited for him. And then, you know, they pick another boy after that. Tez's images. In human form, Tez is easily recognizable in codices by the black stripes in his face, depending on the aspect of the god that was represented and by an obsidian mirror, obsidian again, folks, on his chest, though through which he could see all human thoughts and actions. Symbolically, Tez is also represented by an obsidian knife. So this is, you know, very important for us when we're thinking about, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. Let's see over at Wikipedia. Let's see, temples to Tez. Many of the temples now associated with Tez are built facing east-west, as Oliver, or Olivier, quotes uh, Felipe Salas, the sacred building of the god of war was in direct relation with the movement of the sun in the same manner the great temple was their facades being towards the west. They're awful. Okay. Okay, here's a couple of mythical stories. In one of the Aztec accounts of creation, Kay and Tez joined forces to create the world. Before their act, there was only the sea and the crocodilian earth monster called Sip Asitl. Sip Asitl. Stili. Sip Sip Something like that. To attract her, Tez used his foot as a bait and she ate it. The two gods then captured her, distorted her to make land from her body. After that, they created the people, and the people had to offer sacrifices to comfort the crocodile lady for you know her suffering. Because of this, Tez is depicted with a missing foot. Another story of creation goes that Tez turned himself into the sun, but Kay was furious because they are enemies. He is a night god, or of his missing foot, so he knocked Tez out of the sky with a stone club. That's not nice. 
Angered, Tez turned into a jaguar and destroyed the world. Kay replaced him and started the second age of the world when it became populated again. Tez overthrew Kay, making him send a great wind that devastated the world, and the people that survived were turned into monkeys. Talak, the god of rain, became the sun, but he had his wife taken away by Tez. He did not make any rain for several years until a fit of rage he made rain fire, with the people surviving turning into birds. The water goddess became the sun, but she was crushed with Tez's words, saying that she, she is just pretending to be kind. She cried for many years, and the world was destroyed by floods, with the people being turned into fish. And that's the end. I mean, that's a very Wikipedia. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, and it just ended. Kind of like a boring bedtime story. So it's a little um, probably inaccurate uh, Aztec god, Tez, as we call him. I'm not sure if the Tasmanian devil is based on him. Probably not. But I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm already irritated because I like Tez, I think. I don't know. He's like got obsidian. He's watching. It's kind of like Santa Claus, but against the bad guys. He was maybe like, uh, what's his name? Like the Bell Snickles or Krampus or something. So that's Tez, though. Okay, so uh, Mudgate is the, uh, bears the brunt of Stannis' attack. So I just want to look that up. The Mud Gate is a location in the second season. It's a gate in the walls of King Landing that opens near the shores of Blackwater Bay. Tyrion Lannister predicts it'll be the focal point of King Stannis' attack because it's weak and easy to land near. Uh, That's from the Game of Thrones wikia. And over at a wiki of uh, Ice and Fire, more from the books, is it's the ri- it's called the River Gate. Rivergate is one of seven huge gates that surround the walls of King's Landing. It is known as the Mudgate by the population of the city. It is near the center of the southeast wall and connects Fishmonger's Square with the wharfs on the Blackwater Rush. Opposite the Rivergate on the southern shore of the Blackwater is the King's Road, which leads to Storm's End. So that's just a quick thing about uh, the gates. Uh, the the mud gate, uh, but with the gates, I want to you know look up and like, hey, what what was this? Was this a normal gate? Uh, so I looked over. Uh, this is from castlesandmanorhouses dot com. Uh, castle architecture gates. It doesn't have an author name, but gates and barbicans, gateways like all openings were recognized weak points in any defensive fortress. For this reason, defenders tended to take two simple precautions. The first was to minimize the number of openings, including gateways. The second was to provide additional defense for gateways. The first was typically achieved by severely restricting the number of gateways. Except for postern gates, which I don't we'll look that up, a typical castle would only have a single entrance gate. Some had none at all. Everything came in did so by being hoisted over the walls. That wouldn't be very convenient. And everything that left had to be thrown over the walls or hoisted down. Towns would also have few gateways, often one, rarely more than four, even for the largest cities. The second method, protecting gateways, offered more opportunities for imaginative solutions. So this is gates. You know, gates could be made from wood, which was vulnerable, maximized the strength. They were thick. At practicable, often with layers of wood, horizontal and vertical, metal plates. 
There would be elevated doorways. We didn't have that. Flanking towers. I don't know, flanking towers provided the means to house defensive features. Oh, so they'd be towers on the side of the gates. I don't think we had that here. Maybe we did, though. Uh, they'd included stuff to, you know, throw stuff. This is all, like, a lot of this is from this castle called Cotter Caseone, which I know there's a game named after that, uh, which looks pretty sweet. Uh, Port Portcullis, which I can never pronounce, is a lattice gate or grill. And, you know, kind of like a, uh, those could be lowered down. Then there's you got your drawbridge. You got barbicans, which are defensive structures controlling access to a gateway, fortified outposts or gateways, typically performing, forming an outer defense. So you got barbicans. I thought that was like a, a pork dish, barbican, pork barbican. A lot of descriptions over at Carcassi. And then you have postern gates, which are, uh, this is, seems like the one uh, Tyrion used. A postern gate is a secondary door a gate, particularly in a fortification such as a city wall, which we have here, or a castle curtain wall. Posterns are often located, posterns are often located in concealed location, allowing occupants to come and go inconspicuously, inconspicuously in the event of a siege. A postern gate could act as a sally port, allowing defenders to make a surprise sortie on the uh, besiegers. Let's just look up this, uh, what was that called? Oh, postern gate. Wasn't that just what we were just talking about? So I don't know if that was a double postern gate, like as the mud gate was a postern gate that they were coming in, and then Tyrion had found even another postern gate. I'm not sure. But that's get a little more on gates there for every you know, gates fans. Hello, this is Tommen, Lord Tommen, and, and and his best friend Sir Pounce, and I'm reporting in from my my room with my best friend Sir Pounce, the best friend a boy's ever had, and I'm Tommen, his best friend, the best friend a cat's ever had, and we are the best friends that ju- just us justices ever had, Sir Pounce and Tommen, clearing the names. Of the the naughty the naughty named we are we've been working if if those of you that listen to me and 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 pounce sir pounce we were, were well I more more sir pounce wanted said this boy the stable boy is uh, framed by your brother Joff and he said he he, he t- took away this milkmaid and I don't buy it I don't like your brother I liked the milkmaid. Stable boy's not so bad either. Uh, we, we've got to, you know, clear his name. And I said, what well, is this the same stable boy that lives under my toilet in the basement? He said, that's not your toilet. We got moved to a new room. He goes, we are where I covered this. Where I covered this. Or well, something like that. I don't know. Sometimes and then I say, I think about peacocks. And then I just say, okay, it's about... And I picture my head a peacock. And I say, every eye is watching me. And I am watching every eye of the peacock. And I say, why are there so many eyes watching me? And then I say, oh, did you want me to sing you a song, peacock? You know, that's what I do. But Sapon said, okay, well, we got to get moving. I said, what was that boy's name again? Oh, Ad, 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 and he said, yeah, I'm from France. 
And I said, okay, so what's, what are we going to do? And Sopan said, you know, Ferrari. So we went and we met in the town, these two women, and they were called, and they were, uh, they had a group called the uh, Mothers of Criminals. And uh, what's that about? Yeah. Oh, uh, what? Oh, Sopan is not happy with me. Mothers of Renovrents. Oh, oh, innocents. Is it, that's when you're, oh, yes, oh, mothers of innocence, he says, not at criminals. I, I'm not clear on the, but anyway, so they met with us and they said, we have, uh, you know, brought it to attention, this stable boy, and we've lost our sons to the upper class. Now, you should know that I had to wear a burlap coat and pretend I was, uh, you know, in surpounce. We pretended, anyway, you don't want to know. Uh, but anyway, so they said, uh, you know, the terrible upper class and the royals, the nasty, nasty Lannisters. And they say, framing these, you know, all of our children against their crimes. And I said, peacock, how many eyes does a peacock have? And everyone was silent. I said, oh, uh, I said, well, you know, when the peacock eyes watch you, what shall you do? And they thought, they, they said, oh, yes, 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 uh, always watching. And I said, oh, they, these people get me. And I said, yes. I said, they watch everything you do, and they judge you, judge you, judge you. And they clapped, and they said, oh, finally, one of the monsters has come to see the light. And I said, the light reflected in the eyes of a peacock's eyes is a light that is blinding and delicious to see. And it was, I think they took them and they said, okay, well, anyway, we got to get to work here. So we've, we've been, we've been looking at this case about the, uh, a, a stable boy and we, you know, we, we've, we've determined there's no possible way, you know, he could have done it. He has so many duties, and he has so many people that love him, and and something about um, uh, why why would he do it? They said it doesn't make any sense. As I said, and I said, what you, when, when it comes down to is, uh, what's the deal with this Joff? What's the deal with Joff? They say, and I don't know how they knew, and they were all looking at me, and they said, what is it? What? Is it? And I said, oh boy, I said the peacock would have no eyes for the Joff, you know, in disguise, I said it because it rhymed. But, and they said, we think this king is a, is a sick man. And I said, well, he is a boy, um, or, 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 or I guess I, or a man, depending on how you look at it. And they said, well, what is he? Is this Sir Pounce, what do you think the deal with Joff is? And Sir Pounce, he said, he said to them, through through uh you know it's complicated things but he he says Sopans basically said that he had challenged Joff's uh, uh you know and the milkmaid had seen it and because Joff's uh, when he say manhood had been challenged by a cat that Joff had been uh, neutered as they tried with Sir Pounce, and Sir Pounce had cut the man, and I, I don't know. 
And he said, never knew to me. Was on her tummy. And he, 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 he was, he, he looked crazed when he said, you know, this, he goes, this Joff, he was, he, that, that was what he had against him, is that he made a fool of him in front of the hound, in front of me, and in front of the, the milkmaid. I think Sapan I don't know. And so Sapan so, said she had, you know, Joff was out to get her and probably to get Sapan, but he said a better man would not, could not get me, so how could that fool get me? But he probably will. Uh, I don't know. Sapan said, don't worry. I said, what is Joff going to do? Also? And Sapan said, round. He said, and I said, think about the, the, the peacock eyes. And so I thought about peacock eyes, but he kept talking about that Joff is a bad man. He, he, he must have, Sapan's best guess is that one day Joff saw the, the milkmaid with this stable boy, and then he heard the tales of a stable boy's, wait, I don't know what a jandong is. John Dong, uh, that the stable boy was a legendary fool. John Dong, I don't know if that's his nickname, and that he, you know, and he was his, his way, and he was so nice and genuine. And, and Sapan said, in a way, he was very not as good as you, Tommen, not as good as you, but very good at scratching behind the ears, almost as good as Tommen. And I said, oh, thank goodness, that's the only thing I know. The mother says, I'm not good at anything. I said, well, petting, so pounce, mother, 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 are you listening? I'm not listening to you talk about that cat, you fool. But I, mother, I, you said I'm not good at anything. And I said, so pounce, I'm the best best friend. He, well, go see the maester and have him give you some more medicine. Uh, anyway... So he said, that's the deal with your brother Joff. This, this King Joffrey is he is out for revenge against all parties involved out of jealousy. And uh, he said uh, something, uh, what is it? Something about uh, mascul- uh, masculation. Master. Mother, uh, that's what the master asked me. Masturbation. Tommen, have you started the masturbation? And I said, what's that? And he said, uh, why should I explain? He goes, would you take yourself? And he said, never mind, Tom. Uh, yeah, your mother wanted me to talk to you. But the emasculation, they say, he emasculated him. That's what I see. That's a, that's so Pounce is shaking his head and grinning. So that uh, that was the deal with Joff. And then, so then I said, uh, you know, later in the day, I said, mother, how old? Mother, uh... What, 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 why would, uh, what, what are innocents? And she said, uh, uh, what do you mean? I said, uh, you know, people that say they were not criminals, no, 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 framed. And she said, well, where did you hear those words? I said, well, these lovely women, they meet down at the uh, Crow's Foot uh, Inn every Tuesday at uh, second son, and, uh, and and my mother said thank you, and then the, the women they they were, 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 were well their heads were looking, had, uh, always looking at the uh, dungeon. Mother said forever to see 
what happens. Uh, yeah, something I don't know. So that that's uh, the win. I think that was the same. Uh, no, I don't know. Mother said there's no innocence. Uh, fool, and it only fools are innocent. Oh, she has something. You're in it. You're innocent of being. Uh, I don't again. So that's it, Tom and Sir Pounce. Uh, where we uh, they, and then I went back to my room. And the boy said, "Where did you meet with the mothers to find out how, how to save me, Tom?" And hello, Tom and. I said hello, Wonton. Hello, I'm not going to go to the bathroom on you today. Maybe tomorrow. And he said, "What did you do? Did you?" And Sir Pounce said, "Rest around. We're marking on it." And I, he said, "Oh, okay. Uh, because you know my trial's coming up, and I'm not having a trial. Just uh, you know, Joff wants to make a speech before that's uh, soon." And so Mr. Brown said, don't worry, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. And I said, uh, okay, one time, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. Oh, two, I did. And then he said, oh, Tom and oh. So that is the tale of Sir Pounce and Tommen's quest for justice for the innocents. If you end up, if you're innocent, the pike, yeah, mother said something like that, the innocent on a pike is when your innocence is the innocence I like. I think that's what she said. Innocence on a pike is the innocence I like. And I agree with Mother. Well, you know, keep them looking. So I, innocence on a pike is the innocence I like to me and Pounce. So Pounce is shaking his head. I will talk to him, and we will find out more about one time's justice. Good day. It's time for my prayers. Crone. Sweet, sweet crone, Miller, Smith, Barkey, Miller, Smith, Barkey, Jester, uh, praying in. It's me. Maybe may missed you guys last week because of some you know stuff. No, no, you guys won't get it at all. But um, as a in the in the other, so you're anyway. You know what I've been up to, and you know, it's natural. I had urges. Anyway, that aside, uh, update of, of, of with the uh, cereal, cereal that I've been working after. The guy with the great show, everybody loves it. Cliffhangers, and well, how's it going to turn out? That's what Westeros is talking about it. And I go in, at, you know, and then they're all excited. And the innkeeper says, you know, these people got to get bored and get And then they throw the stuff. You guys, you guys, you know. So I've been doing that, and but really, you know, guys, you know, I'm not just a fool that would go on stage to be booed and pelted. I, I recently discovered this one part of Westeros that has Brussels sprouts, which is like the worst because they have the stink of like a broccoli or a cabbage, but the, they're small and tight and they can rot really good. So even little kids can really get them moving. So the Brussels sprout town was a, that's where we've been. I don't know what what part of Westeros, the river face or whatever. Sorry, whatever. Oh, sorry, Miller. You probably love that part of Westeros. Anyway, but you know, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not just playing a fool on stage and then boring people. You know, to bore them at the end so they go home. I mean, those are the things I'm good at. But my, you know, desire 
It's Catch Cat Stevens and Aristotle from mucking about and fantasy, trying to create their own fan fiction, is what my suspicion has been, and ruining George R. R. Martin's work, and then, you know, henceforth ruining Weiss and Benioff's work. I don't think it would retroactively affect anything, like Back to the Future style. Uh, wait, never mind, you know, I don't, no more DVDs, Barky. Um, but so I've been working hard. We're in this whatever town it's called with the Brussels sprouts. I guess it's more of a, a, a small city. And so I was working my material, right? People throw stuff. You know, I'm like, what, what do you call this? This is like a little brain. And what they call it? it says a Brussels sprout. And I said, what is it named after? You know, I just, I don't mean, you know, I'm acting, acting. You know, oh, this, is, uh, t- this tastes worse than it smells. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, whole whole, whole routine. But and then, I'm, then I'm like, I ch- check the back. The guys are staring at me. I'm pretty sure it's Cat Stevens and Aristotle. Guys, you might have a question, though, that I really don't want to have time to answer, but you might be saying, is this Cat Stevens or Yousef, uh Islam, I think is his name now. I think it's I don't know I'm not I'm not joking gods I'm t- you know I just know Cat Stevens it's not like I said Cat Stevens has changed his name he's dead to me it's just hard for me to remember that kind of stuff and it'd be like if Steve Miller is going by like a Steve Miller band if he changed his name I'd still call him Steve Miller because I I don't know was he going to be go Stephen Miller or this just Stephen. It wouldn't, in a, I guess, in a degrading way, it wouldn't matter to me if Steve Miller changed his name or just like S. Whatever, God's, he's Cat Stevens to me. He'll always be Cat Stevens, but I'm pretty sure he is Cat Stevens in this universe because you know the. He, I think he became more peaceful, and this one he's kind of conquering and and out to get me stuff. But so they are staring at me, and I figured Aristotle. He must hate 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 uh, my my logic. Logically, he must hate me. So I launch in, and I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm continuing our talks about my philosophies and the the T for Tillerman talks. I'm glad everyone's here, and everyone gets it now. So they're all like, "Oh boy," and they've thrown everything. Some people save some stuff. So I, you know, I I uh, I, I stuff my pants with a bowl. But I say, I oh, here we are, miles from nowhere. And who was in pursuit of us? But that, you know, that other god, uh, whatever you guys call him, the shadow boxer or something. But I wonder, and I know you wonder about the physics, metaphysics of, you know, you think of potentiality and actuality, in the elements behind all creation. And, and and I I I am here to enlighten you, because you might say, look at this hearth; it's full of fire. And what is there? What makes up fire? Is fire is just fire? Well, then where when where whence does fire come from? And you drink, you know, your ale. It has you know it's made from water. Well, you might have a water, and you say oh, that's water. Is that the, whence does water come from? It is water. And earth and rock and stone, you might say, well, this is earth, you know, it's dirt, it's uh, tiny rocks. You might say, oh, no, it's a different, well, 
I am the metaphysicist here. And I am here to explain that there is both, and each element is its own. And in its own, uh, you, 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 shall, uh, uh, you shall discover what it can be and what it once was. Now, if you look at yourselves and wonder, if you look into your hearts and say to yourselves, you know, here I am miles from nowhere. What, what does he mean? Is he talking in riddles? No, 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 because I'm not good at r r riddles. But riddle me this. What what awaits you at nowhere? And is that where we're headed? Do you, of any of the gods, what are you, seven gods, eight, nine, ten, whatever lands have, is it the god of the Brussels sprouts? Is that God say to you, listen, man, you're not, you're not going to make it. No one is. But here's the deal, you know, no, it, it, it's never that clear. And you might say, miles from nowhere, I've never heard a song. I know it's a title, but I'm not familiar with it. And I'd say, ooh, baby, baby, it's miles from nowhere. Bada, 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 bada. I'm just a guy with a smile there. And that got him. He was pointing, Cat Stevens, he pointing right at me. Yeah, and he's, you know, he, he, I've never seen in a, oh, I actually have seen this kind of rage in many people's eyes, man, woman, child, directed at me, but it was the clear rage. And I said, all right, well, I got him now. Uh, trap is sprung. And I say, folks, you know, you got to ask yourself when you're singing a song like that, that, you know, I might die tonight. And you say, but, but I might die tonight. And that but is an extension into the universal unknown of your potentiality. And you, you wonder yourself, and that was it, Aristotle flips the table over. And uh, I, I, I think God's I found some courage or something because I just kept going. And I say, you know, the elements, the thing is, you know, folks, I'm going to be honest with you, this God stuff is one thing. What's this philosophy? You know, I sit up here, and I, you know, I'm just like these philosophers, just making it up. And these songs, you know, they, they all sound the same. These bards are singing; they're just ripping you off, ripping you off. Now, the the, the darndest thing is, God's everyone's asleep, but Aristotle and Cat Stevens, and they're they're working their way towards me, and then I'm like, oh, uh, innkeep, did someone serve them coffee? And then I'm like, oh, wait a second, I didn't, I, I sprung the trap w without a trap, um, because remember, I saw last time I said, okay, I'll work on the trap, I work on the trap, and then I found a yo-yo, and I forgot all about working on the trap. I was, you know, trying to walk. They call it walking. The, do you know, guys, guys, you know what a yo-yo is? No. About crone, are you still awake? Crone. Because that'd be a good thing, crone. It'd probably be good for you. Yo-yoing. But good for your wrists, your mind to watch that move. And I could try to teach you to walk the dog once I, once I learn it. And then there's other stuff that hasn't... You know, like uh, walk the dog. There's like one where you make it look like a bell tower crone. That would be another good one. Maybe I could hypnotize you. 
Well, I don't really. Made neck could hypnotize you. But I would try it out on you, crone. It may make, you know, do they have that, they have that when you were a girl and the guy says you're a chicken now? And he said, anyway, guys, we're in the middle of the action part. So they come at me and I'm like, oh boy, um, no, no plan here. And uh, um, I say, uh, whoa, did you, uh, did you guys have to pay your bill? Uh, but did you pay your bill? Because they, they, they look like they were eating a lot. And then the innkeeper's like, what, what? And I said, these guys are trying to uh, exit without paying their bill. And then I said, uh, you know, and as a matter of fact, uh, this guy, these are the exact people I was telling you about that uh, they've gone town to town. I hear about these guys up and down the dial just, you know, uh, ripping people off, man. They're wanted in uh, four uh, riverlands. And the innkeepers is a big guy, Brussels sprout man eater and he grabs them and does like the uh, two like where they bangs their heads together and he says you're gonna pay me and then i ran i ran and luckily uh i had relocated from wherever i was sleeping last time i remember i tried to get in cereal's room and then we went to this town and i was trying to like again i'm like man this is a little colder here huh and i'm like we're real popular now and he goes, yeah, you eat, you'll eat. And I said, well, yeah, what about, uh, what about, you know, and then, and then uh, he said, oh, well, they got room in the stables. And I said, really, I've always, uh, I said, I've always wondered if I could sleep in the hay anyway, if it's as bad as they say. So, you know, I was like, a part of me thinks it'd be cool to sleep under the hay. But, you know, everybody says so pokey and stuff. And so then I just went and hid under the hay gods. And that's where I am right now. So that's a report, uh, believe it or not. And um, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, if you guys could think of a plan and let me know, because they're probably looking for me. I don't. They're not gonna find me. I mean, probably I'm not the best to talk anymore. But yeah, that's it, God. So I'm gonna hear and praying in. Sweet crone, sweet sweet crone. I'm just here to reset your, you know, because I'm worried. Uh, God's, you know, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. You know, I don't want them disrupting you guys because you're the ones that keep the stars in the sky and in my heart. You know, that you guys like that? I, I worry I made that up. So that's it, gods. I'm checking out, and I'll be praying in soon with a good, you know. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had the yo-yo down here. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to play some yo-yo. Bye-bye.